We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Sports. Alex, the, the snow is rapidly melting outside of my window. Uh, it's almost golf season. Um, the only downside seemingly right now is that we have no idea when the Major League Baseball season is about to start. Uh, although I have a hunch that I, I don't think I've ever talked to you about anything baseball related. Like, what is your level of concern that we have a 2022 MLB season? Um, I hope it happens. Uh, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't really watch. I don't think I've watched a full baseball game last year. So, uh, obviously, I'm rooting for rooting for the season to happen, but it will not affect my life, honestly. Yeah, I, I'm rooting for it for the Clay Links and James Anderson. Right, exactly. And, you know, Kevin O'Brien's of the world. Uh, I I enjoy baseball. I, I would prefer that there's a baseball season, uh, but the the TL right now is uh, pretty heartbroken after the announcement that, you know, it looks like opening day at least will be delayed, but I think we're going to get a season in some form or fashion. Um, but we got Wisconsin Purdue tonight in the college ranks, two possible top five picks uh, going at it in Johnny Davis and Jaden Ivy that that's taking place. Like, I don't know what 300 feet from, from the roadwire office. So uh, hopefully we don't have any parking issues tonight, but um, I, I kind of wrangled you, you know, th- this afternoon to, I was inspired by watching John Morant highlights from last night. I, I watched part of the game on League Pass. The stream started getting a little glitchy for me. So I'll admit that I, I was not able to catch as much of the game live as I had hoped. But, I, man, I went back this morning and was watching the the 52-point outburst from Morant. And I, I just keep shaking my head with this guy. Like, like everybody in the world was a John Morant fan in college. Um, you know, everybody, I think, is rooting for John Morant to succeed. Like, he's, he's one of the most universally liked uh, I was going to say prospects, but at this point, I mean, he's a bona fide NBA star. I am just shocked how quickly 
this has happened because you know I was writing an article for the site earlier today and I looked it up. He finished 114th last year in per game fantasy value. And fantasy value doesn't always correlate to your standing in the league. But if you finish outside of the top 100, there's a pretty good chance that you're you're not on the star level. And you know, I think we we kind of approached him with caution when it came to our projections this year. At no point over the last calendar year did I think John Morant would score 44, 46, and 52 points over the course of 12 days. He's unbelievable. Um, I mean, he's even been, he's like over the past month, I guess month and a half, like his last 16 games is 34 points a game on, on 25 shots, six and a half assists. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, I mean, he might be the most exciting player to watch in the NBA on just like a play to play basis. I don't even know. Like, I think Giannis is up there for, uh, Giannis is up there and I don't know, man. I, I, he, he really is must watch television. And it's not like he's obviously it's not like he's just exciting. He's one of the best players in the league. And like, I don't even know how you, like what do you project for him moving forward at this point? Like he's 20, I think he's 22 years old right now. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of what I wanted to to focus on. We'll, we'll hit on a few other news items, I, I don't know, at some point in the pod. But I, I really wanted to have you on just to discuss, like, just to try to contextualize what we're seeing here. Because I, I think there was always this, like I said, this kind of general hope from, like, you, there was anybody you talked to, whether it was this year, last year, Morant's rookie year, you were never going to hear anyone say, like, eh, I don't, I don't really like John Morant. I hope he doesn't pan out. Like, nobody's been rooting against this guy. But, like, oftentimes when that happens, when there's so much public support, and it's almost unanimous. It's like impossible for that player to live up to the expectations. And, and it feels like Morant has already exceeded those. And, and there is some concern, you know, the, just watching last night, the amount of times that he flew into the lane uh, against the Spurs and, and for the most part got calls, sometimes didn't. Um, you know, he's, he's had some injury issues over these first couple of years. So th- there is some, some long-term concern about like, can he operate like this when he's 28 and not 22? Who knows? But, you know, one thing I keep, I kept seeing, before the all-star break and, and it really hasn't slowed down on Twitter is, you know, John Morant versus prime Derek Rose, because you know, year I think it was year three when Derek Rose really broke out, right? The year two or year three. Uh, I thought it was three, but it could be wrong. It was, yeah. it was three. Yeah. He was an all-star in year two, but he, you know, we won the MVP in year three, averaged 25 a game. Bulls were a great team, all that played in 81 games. And you know, that, that's not that far away. I mean, that was 2010, 2011, but you know, even comparing that to this, like, I mean, Morant's numbers blow that out of the water. I mean, he's shooting 50% from the field for a guy who shoots 34% from three, takes a ton of really difficult looks. Um, you know, the turnover numbers are, are fine. They're not remarkable, but I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm basically having you on to just talk about how awesome <laughs> John Morant is and how how glad I am that, that he seemingly panned out. Yeah, I think the Rose comparison is good. Uh Rose put up, yeah, like 25 and eight, although that was like a slower pace for a Thibodeau team. So I think, you know, uh, they're, they're closer than that, but yeah, I mean, Morant's percentages are better and all that. And I think Morant's a better athlete than Rose, although they are kind of different athletes. I think Rose may have been quicker and, but uh, Morant has can jump higher, uh, obviously. Um, you know, Rose had like the advantage in free throw percentage and stuff like that. But I don't even know who else you'd compare Morant to. It's it's pretty rare that a guy with 
uh, all-time athleticism, which is what I think mm-hmm. John Morant has. I mean, it's not only that he's it's not only that he's putting his head at the rim. It's just even when he's not that high, the sort of contortion that he's doing to make some of these layups. It's like you're watching on TV and there are three guys surrounding him and you just, you can't even see Morant. And then all of a sudden his arm sticks out between this like gap in the middle of the defense and flips up a, you know, layup with a tongue of English on it, hits the uh, corner of the backboard and just drops in. It's like, it's, you can't even comprehend what might happen when he's in the paint. Like it's mm-hmm. never, it's never what you expect. It never seems normal. It is really hard to think of an athletic comparison because he is so skinny. And, and oftentimes, you know, those guys end up relying more on like, this, I guess around the back. And he definitely has that. It's not like he's finishing everything with a monster dunk, but then you see, you know, the takeoff point on that dunk over Pirtle oh my God. last night, like didn't make sense. Like I had to watch that three, four times, you know, the, the Twitter highlight of like, how did he, like he basically took two steps and somehow gathered enough energy. Um, and it wasn't one of those like kind of cheat dunks where you watch it and, oh, he actually pushed off his shoulder or used his head for leverage. Like that was, he just jumped right over him and dunked it, you know, despite having the resistance of Pirtle's body in his way. There aren't many guys at that size who, who have that kind of power, but, but only when it comes to dunking, if that makes sense. Like Derek Rose was 25 pounds heavier than John Morant. And I, I think body wise, like Allen Iverson is the guy who, who really comes to mind with Morant. Uh, we'll see if he ends up adding any weight as he gets older. I think that's actually going to be something that he should do at some point, you know, once that athleticism, you know, comes back down to like normal earthly levels. But I, I think with Rose, like he was a crazy athlete. I don't want to take anything away from him, but there's a little bit more of a power element to it. And and Morant, it just, it seems like he's being suspended from the ceiling. Like he's in like a play or something. And there's just somebody like pulling the string up and he just keeps going up and up and up. And I feel like Rose was like a nine out of 10 athlete and, and Morant feels like a 10 out of 10 to me. Yeah, I mean, I can't. I don't even know what a player more athletic than John Morant looks like. Right. Yeah, I think the Rose facsimiles. Yeah, like Westbrook and Rose, I think are actually really similar in terms of athleticism. I think Rose was a little more fluid. You know, you, you can't really picture him. You know, Westbrook, especially current form of Westbrook, is very herky jerky, very kind of robotic in the way that he he moves at times. Whereas Rose was pretty smooth. But yeah, I, I mean, like I said, for Morant, like there's just not that many guys who are. I mean, maybe there are, there have been players who are that athletic, but they're almost like specialists, you know, it's just like a guy who seems like he belongs on the end one mixtape tour. It's very yeah. rare to have a guy who's like the best player in the league and could also, you know, give you 52 on any given night. Well, it's almost like if Vince Carter was like six, two. Yeah. Like the, the kind of like the audacity and the ridiculousness of these dunks, like the, you know, there was a fast break play. This might've been like a month ago at this point. You know, it was alley-oop to John Morant, catches it, windmills, and dunks it. Might have been after the play. It's just like, it's it's crazy. You know, like Westbrook, I don't even necessarily like the Westbrook comparison because he didn't do as much like, uh, he he wasn't like a contortionist in the air. He's just like all explosiveness and power. Rose does have that kind of, you know, he's doing spins in the air and he's the, the kind of English he's playing the ball is crazy, but... I kind of like the Iverson comparison too, just from a body type. So it's almost like this weird blend of like Rose, Carter, and Iverson. It, it doesn't even yeah. it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I mean, early John Wall, another name who comes to mind, but you know, body wise, he was more he was closer to Derrick Rose. I mean, he's six four. You know, I, I think some some places he was even listed at six five, and you know, pretty big body even when he was coming out of Kentucky. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it really does in a lot of ways feel like. You're kind of the second coming of, of Allen Iverson in, in a lot of ways, but 
man, yeah, it's been it's been incredibly fun to watch so far. And I, I kind of want to, in an, in a potentially failed effort to contextualize this, because I'm not sure we will really be able to do this, but I want to kind of ask you, like, where does he stand in the league at this point? Because a lot of the things he was doing this year, he was still doing in years past, but, you know, he would then go, you know, seven games in a row where he doesn't score more than 20 points. Like there, there were a lot of highs, and then there were still a lot of like, eh, are we sure this guy can really, really be the guy on a title team? And I think he's answered that question resoundingly this season. But, you know, at this point, as you mentioned, he's 22 years old. He turns 23 in August. So, you know, the way that NBA players are projecting now, that's like seven or eight more prime years minimum. Um, like how many guys would you take over John Morant right now? Let's say if you're going for the next five years, like how many guys would you rather sign to a five-year max deal than John Morant? I mean, it's pretty tough to make a list of even like three or four guys that you'd feel really good about. Yeah, I mean, you would put the other MVP candidates in there, right? So Jokic, uh, Embiid, you know, I think even Curry makes sense in that discussion, Giannis. But even if you're just talking... I, I'm trying to win a playoff series. Like, you know, like, for example, if, if you're using, like, fantasy rank as a guide, Jaw is, like, 28th per game right now. There's no way he's that far down in, like, real-life rankings, right? That has to be, like, absolute floor. So I think it, like, if you're trying to win one playoff series, it feels like he's top 20 for certain, maybe top 15, but it's kind of hard to... It's kind of hard to say, but, I mean... I mean, we are, we've already seen him in the playoffs, and he looked incredible. I mean, what he was, you know, completely not afraid of, of Gobert, um, that whole thing. And, yeah, man, it's um, – I, I don't know. Because he's – it's not like he's a selfish – like, he's taking 20 shots a game, but it doesn't feel like he's doing that selfishly either. So, mm-hmm. um, it's – you know, he's not he's not Chris Paul or anything like that, but he's, he's a great passer as well. Right. Well, and that we'll come back to, you know, how many guys would you take over him? I, I made a list of potential options and, and frankly, I don't feel great about any of them. And I'd, I'd be interested to get your opinion. Um, but, you know, it's also worth noting that this guy has played in fewer than 180 total NBA games. You know, he, he did significant time each of the first two years. Those were shortened seasons, you know, never even got to 70 games um, and, and may not get to 70 games in this season as well. Um you know, it's still so early on. Like I'll, I'm, we've seen so many guys make a leap from year four to year five, or, you know, some guys even into their mid to late twenties, you know, it's like, if you're, if you're already putting up 28, seven and six on crazy efficiency and, and you know, essentially becoming in that discussion for face of the league, I, I think it's a little soon for that, but you know, what does this look like two years from now? And like, where are you taking John Moran? You know, you mentioned his fantasy ranking. Like, are you projecting another leap next year? Is that even realistic at this point? At a certain point, I think he will be capped out by his shooting. Yeah. And that that may be where he's at right now. It is really hard for me to imagine a version of John Morant scoring over 30 a game because he's basically there already. But like consistently over 30 points a game if he doesn't continue to improve as a shooter. He's 34% on threes right now, which is solid. You know, that'll work. 75% from the free throw line. That's a little bit of a concern when you're taking seven a right. game. It's good, obviously, but I think at some point teams will, especially in the playoffs, just be more aggressive in forcing him to shoot threes and just hacking him when he's in a position when he gets close. Now, easier said than done with a guy like Morant, who again, like last season, as a 21 year old, averaged 30 a game on 22 shots of the playoffs uh, right. with almost a three to one assist to turnover ratio. Like, 
he's already amazing, but I do think the shooting is what will, that's what would make him truly like top five player face of the mm-hmm. league is if he can start shooting 37% from three, 80% from the free throw line and the usage rate stays up. Yeah. I think that's what makes him a true MVP candidate because it, it does feel like even though they've been one of the biggest stories in the league and they just keep winning and it doesn't seem to matter, you know, what opponent you put in front of them. I mean, at, at this point, they're one game behind golden state. Uh, which just blew like a massive lead, you know, on Sunday against Dallas. They're one game behind the Warriors for the two seed in the Western Conference, and and it still kind of feels like there's a, you know, you got to wait your turn type of discussion around Morant. Um, you know, that, uh, those you know, Embiid, Giannis, uh, and and Jokic, you know, all those guys have been in MVP discussions before. Two of them have won the award. Like you kind of need to break into that club. Uh, it's really hard to do what Derrick Rose did and just kind of go rogue in your third season and win it. Not many guys do that. Uh, it feels like this is his entry into that discussion, but yeah, you need to follow it up now. You know, if he comes back and, and looks more like the player we saw last season next year, and he's shooting like, you know, 31% from three, the field goal percentage declines. Um, like this is the standard now that he has to live up to. And I think you're totally right. It's the three point shooting and the free throw shooting that are ultimately going to determine, you know, his, his floor as a, or his ceiling as a scorer. Um, like it's not necessarily sustainable to do what he did last night against San Antonio, which was make 22 shots from the field, 18 made two pointers in that game. Like that, that's just not really how the game is played right now. No, I mean, not when you're six foot three. I mean, the thing is he has, you know, he has that great floater game as well. And he hit like, he was pulling out all sorts of kind of like new floaters, you know, like hard drive into a Euro step in the lane into a fadeaway floater off one foot. Like it, you know, that kind of stuff is is crazy. And I think, you know, guys are getting better at floaters. And I do think that's kind of where he will. Uh, that part of his game is still going to be deadly, even if he can't shoot tons of threes, just because he can elevate over everybody uh, in that range. And it's basically an open look for him almost every time, um, especially against like drop coverage. But yeah, I mean, yeah, his last two games, even before that, I mean, be- <laughs> before the San Antonio game, he made 15 uh, you know, 15 field goals, 12 of which were twos, scored 46 points against the Bulls. Um, and two games ago, 44 against Portland. So, I, you know, I, it's it's weird to say, like, this is the coming out party for John Moran because he's just he basically been doing this all season. He slumped a little bit, like, right before he got hurt, and then he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at this point, the only knocks on him, I think, are the shooting and, you know, I don't think he's a plus defender right now, but it's it's hard to say, like, a guy with that sort of athleticism can't just, like, there's got to be a way for him to turn into a, a good defender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think maybe the bigger thing, defense aside, I mean, I, I, I with him, I feel like there is somewhat of a, a cap on what he can be defensively just because of his, his body. And if he bulks up and adds 15 pounds, maybe that changes things. Uh, but for now, you just kind of have to survive and just be in the right position. You're never going to be a guy who is necessarily shutting down, you know, other point guards. But you know, going back to the Iverson comparison, and it's worth noting, Iverson at his peak was playing 43 minutes a game um, <laughs> in the year after his MVP year. So 2001, 2002, he averaged 43.7 minutes per game. So some of these numbers are a little skewed, but you know, he won back-to-back scoring titles, shooting basically 30% from three, not taking that many attempts but he was getting to the line 10 times a game. So like, it's not like Morant has to become Steph Curry or Damian Lillard. And he's, you know, he's splashing in like four and a half threes a game and shooting 40%. If you're just doing more of your work from the free throw line and having more games 
you know, I mean, the Portland game was an exception. That was the, the last game before the break. He had 25 free throw attempts, but I mean, he gets Chicago the other night. He got there 15 times, like more of those games. I, I don't necessarily think it's, it, it, it has to be a, a situation where he's like a knockdown three point shooter. He's already okay. I mean, you still have to respect him from three. Uh, it's not like this is a Rondo type of situation. Right. Iverson also led the league in steals three seasons in a row and was over two a game for like a decade. Um, Unreal, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, Morant getting to the line more, I think that's possible for him. Um, it's just how much do you want him, like, colliding into guys and, like, you know, 40-inch vertical trying to dunk on everybody, I guess. I, you can't you can't just – you can't be like, you need to stop doing that because, obviously, it's a ton of success for him. But right. that's why I think it's so important for him to, to reach that, like, 80% mark from the free throw line. Um, yeah. You know, because otherwise teams are really just going to start – like on purpose, just being way more physical with you around the basket. All right. So we've talked job versus prime Derek Rose, job versus Iverson, job versus Zion. Is this debate over at this point? Like, is there anything that Zion can do at this point to reclaim like best player in the class title? Um, I mean, I think you'd be crazy to take Zion over jaw right now. Oh, of course. That that to me seems insane. I just again, like it's it's really hard for me to. I suppose there is a way that Zion, you know, comes back and because he was basically averaging thirty a game on sixty percent shooting, but I don't know if that's necessarily more valuable than what Morant does because you know Morant's also a fantastic passer, um, and a better free throw shooter, and you know Zion's not a great defender either. Zion's probably a worse defender than Morant. So I guess there's a world where it's possible, but I think if you're, if you're betting on that world, you're probably, I get delusional, I guess, for lack of a better word. Like there's just no, it, yeah. Morant is, is just so clearly number one right now. Yeah. I mean, there's a world in which Zion gets healthy and, and starts looking like the guy from you know three years ago at Duke. And then this becomes a discussion again, but I mean, the gap is huge right now. And, you know, I, I think people are still going to, like, no matter what happens with Zion, uh, at least in the short term, people are going to cling to how good he looked for a lot of last season. Um, it's, it's not like he was a bust when he played. Uh, but but it's, it's really, really interesting that Zion was the lock of all locks and is now, you know, a distant number two, if not um, number three, depending on how much you value health uh, in, in his own draft class. All right, so I've, I've compiled a list of a, a handful of young players, and, and let me know as we go if I'm missing anybody here, but... I just want you to tell me straight up, would you take this player over John Morant? I, I would imagine the answer is no for the majority of them, but we'll see how this goes. Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, no. Anthony Edwards. No. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker. <laughs> uh, are these preseason games only? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, you are also the Los Angeles Lakers in this scenario. Okay, yeah, then yes. Um, Shade Gildas Alexander. No. Cade Cunningham. No. No, like it's too early. Okay. Scotty Barnes? No. Bam Adebayo? No. Okay, so now we're now we're down to the five that I think are maybe somewhat of a debate. And to be fair, we're doing this when Morant's stock is at its absolute highest, like 12 yes. hours ago. Again, he put up 52 points. So um, you know, maybe our opinions are a little colored here. But the five guys who I, I narrowed this down to, LaMelo Ball, Trey Young, Jason Tatum, Evan Mobley, Luka Doncic. Okay, I would take Doncic okay. over Morant. 
See, I think that's where it gets interesting. Um, I would take him over Lamelo. Uh, uh, you said Tatum. Tatum's pretty borderline for me. I think Tatum's potential is higher than Morant's. I know. And, and Tatum just... turns 24 in two days for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, I might take Tatum still. I know. I, I think that's that's like something that you should not voice publicly right now, but it's a debate. I'm willing to say it's, it's very much a debate. Well, I mean, I, yeah. I, I think if... Tatum has been on a lot better teams. He's already been to what two conference finals? Like he's been surrounded by so, yeah. a ton of talent. Like if if Jason Tatum was given the kind of free reign that and Jason Tatum already shoots a ton. But if Jason Tatum was like the team leader in the same way that John Morant was a team leader, would Tatum be averaging what? Could that, would Tatum be averaging 32 a game and six assists? Like I maybe. Um so that's kind of hard to say. That, that that feels like a coin flip to me, but Tatum's also a great defender, better size, stuff like that. So I have to lean Tatum right now, but um, it'll be close. And then Mobley, I'd still I'd still take Morant right now. Mobley's interesting, um, but I I'm just not. I, I can't go there. Can't go there. Was there somebody else, or was that it? I mentioned Trey in addition to Oh, Luka. Trey. Um, I think I'd take Morant over Trey. Morant's Trey, just like a more exciting version of what a lot of the things that Trey Young does. Trey's a better passer, and I think that yeah. you – my my only concern about Trey is I do think you have to almost – Trey is really good in an offense that is like set up for him. I'm not saying he's like a system player. But they you just run a ton of pick and roll with Trey. He's almost not doing anything unexpected. Like Ja can audible out of any play and do something absolutely insane. And I feel like he has more upside in that sense. Trey's a better passer, unquestionably. Um, but I think there are still like, you know, a way worse defender than Ja, someone that teams will go out of their way to target uh in a big way. So you know, he's probably giving up what he what he his better passing on the defensive end anyway. So I, I would take Moran over over Trey. So we basically have him as like two and a half to three on this list. You know, Luca Tatum, Morant. Is is that now like the inner circle of great young players? And worth noting, by the way, I was I was looking into LaMelo and I, I feel like what he's doing is now being glossed over a little bit, partially be you know because the Hornets are in a major slump right now and you know kind of midway through the year just decided to stop playing defense and, and partially I think because of how awesome John Morant has been like that is completely overshadowed virtually what any other young player is doing right now but I mean in, as far as guys in year two who have averaged at least 17 points seven assists seven rebounds one and a half steals only three guys ever did that in their second season and it's LeBron Magic Johnson and LaMelo Ball so it's, it's actually kind of insane to me that he's I would say at number two or three at best when you're talking about best young guards in the game for a guy that's having that kind of second year. Right. Yeah. I'm still really high on LaMelo. I mean, he's 20. Um, I, you know, the only, I don't care that much about rebounding 
for like non bigs. The one and a half offensive rebounds a game is pretty nice. Um, but he's still a relatively inefficient shooter. It doesn't get the free throw line that much. The steals are nice. Um, obviously like I'm still, I'm still high on him long-term, but, um, yeah, I, it's just, I feel like the passes haven't been like as crazy flashy this year. Like, I feel like I'm not seeing as many like insane LaMelo plus the team isn't good. Although they could make the playoffs, right? I mean, yeah, they're oh, 10th yeah. right now. So I would, I would love to, because we've already, and some of this has to factor into discussion. Like how many of these guys have we seen succeed in the playoffs? Like we've seen Luca be insane in the playoffs. We see Tatum have some insane playoff performances. Morant's had the insane playoff performances. We haven't seen yeah. LaMelo in the playoffs. We haven't seen Anthony Edwards, Mobley. So I think we kind of have to pump the brakes on those guys as excited yeah. as we are about them. Yeah, that's all fair. Um, I, I think my argument with Morant, I mean, obviously it's a limited uh, playoff sample. By the way, Tatum has 50 playoff games under his belt already yeah. uh, before turning 24. That's a very high number of playoff games. Um, it, it just feels like he's gone. He's been so good for so long, even though it's in the regular season and we're looking at a one-year sample. It feels like he has to leapfrog a lot of those guys. You know, Lamelo has had games here and there. Edwards has had stretches here and there where they've looked like they're maybe in this territory. But, you know, they, they haven't had like a 30-game 30, 30 long sample where they're averaging 31 points a game on 50% shooting. And, by the way, leading their team to 23 games over 500, a team that had an over-under of 41 wins coming into the year. So uh, I think this, this ends the John Moran appreciation portion of the podcast maybe we'll have to revisit this at the end of the year if this continues but um the one last thing i will i will add which is you know you mentioned it with Lamelo. It, it feels like some of the highlight plays have cooled off a bit and the highs have been very high with Lamelo, like some of the passes he's had throughout the year um but i think morant is now pretty easily the most watchable player in the league like for me that was always lebron it's, it's been like a 20-year reign of lebron but it's just become kind of sad watching this lakers team like he's, he still has a lot of insane individual feats, but I, I think it's almost impossible to mount a case for anybody, but John Morant right now. Uh, yeah. Uh, Morant's again, he's, he's impossible, like almost impossible not to watch again. Like I, he's the team's amazing. He's like, he's very skilled. The stats are good. The excitement level is crazy. It's just, uh, he's, he's amazing. He's, he's the best dunker in the league, in-game dunker in the league right now. Yep. And he also is the best and flashiest ball handler. And those are like the two things I care the most about. You know, if, <laughs> if you're somebody that, you know, that gets off on three-pointers, maybe you're still a Steph guy. Um, I don't know. Maybe Trey Young does that more for you. But I, I am very much a, like, he did that move, and he, he said it after the game. He got it from Chris Paul, which that's always the guy I think of with this one. You know, the fast break, kind of fake the pass, spin the ball back to yourself move. Like, he's – all I ever want is is guys who do street ball moves in games. That was the biggest thing we lost when Barry Davis, you know, tore up his ACL for the final time and, and was out of the league. Like he was the last great street baller in the NBA. And it feels like Morant is finally bringing that back. I, not enough kids were raised on the end one mixtape series. Yeah, I mean, just the the kind of player that is simultaneously breaking uh, breaking ankles and then can like dish off to someone who can throw them an a, a, a alley oop for a windmill right. dunk is like. How, yes. You know, the amount of players that have been being able to do that in NBA history, very small list. Yes. And that I think is the one thing that separates him from Iverson, where th there are some things that Iverson was better at, but Iverson, you know, for most of his NBA career, he was, he was a, a fine dunker for his size. He was not an electrifying dunker uh, in the way that John Morant is.
WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more. All that is at your fingertips with the WinBet app. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or even try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in nine states. Those nine states are Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia, and it's rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. Register for WinBet today, make a qualifying deposit, and wager to receive $200 in free bets. Promotion may vary by state. Download WinBet now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's Fantasy Podcast. Thrive Fantasy is back for another season of fantasy basketball, and they're running guaranteed contests every single day this NBA season. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus only on the top-tier players who have the biggest impact on the game. Sign up today, and you'll get a free six-month RotoWire subscription. Here's how you claim that free RotoWire subscription. Step one, visit rotowire.com slash thrive. That's T-H-R-I-V-E, thrive. Step two, deposit a minimum of $10 and you'll receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Step three, play in your first paid contest and you will then receive that free six-month RotoWire subscription. Infinite value with that subscription. You'll get full access to everything on rotowire.com, all sports, all of our optimizers, everything you need to become the best fantasy player and sports better that you can be. Check out thrivefantasy.com to learn more. Thrive Fantasy, an official partner of Rotowire. Let's make some quick monkey knife fight picks uh, before we move on to a few news items. We're just doing a two by two tonight. So you just got to go two for two. Uh, you're getting 3.6x your buy-in if you hit both of these. Um, Luka Doncic, 31 and a half points, more or less, going up against the Lakers. Uh, I'm going to go over, um, you know, the only time he's gone below that number recently, the only two times have been against Utah, fantastic defense and against Miami, fantastic defense. Uh, other than that, he's 34 points, 49 points, 45 points, 51 points, 33 points. Lakers are bad at defense. I will go over. Yep. I'm with you on that. Uh, over. Mavs money line, Mavs with the points, whatever. Uh, I'm basically just going to hedge everything against the Lakers the rest of the way. Uh, to finish this out, Trey Young, more or less 28 and a half points for Trey Young. The Hawks are in Boston tonight. I'm obligated to hit the under here because in my article for today, I have the under on his points and assists uh, as my bet for the day. He struggled against the Celtics. He did put up 30 and 10 the last time, but it was on poor shooting. And um, his numbers aren't very good against the Celtics all year. Celtics defense is incredible recently, probably the best defense in the league recently. And they have Marcus Smart and Derek White to bother him. So I, I'm cool with the under here. This is a tough one. I mean, it feels like it's been feast or famine with him. Like he has multiple 40-point games uh, in the last month, but he also has multiple games under 20 points. It's kind of been one or the other. I, I think this is a, a struggle-filled night. For Trey Young, I think Boston bounces back. They took that really weird loss on Sunday uh, to Indiana. You know, lost by like 21 points in that one. I, I think the Boston defense responds, um, and I, I think Boston wins. I think Trey Young goes less. Those are the monkey knife fight picks. 
for tonight. We'll have more later this week. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, Alex, I just want to hit a few news items and then we'll hop out of here. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, very much back after the All-Star break. I I think we were right to be skeptical as to whether or not that would actually be the case, given the kind of shenanigans that we saw after the break last year from OKC. Uh, But he has looked fantastic in three games back, 32, 36, 37 points, uh, added 10 assists, seven rebounds against the Kings last night. I'm still a little concerned that when we get to like mid to late March, we're going to start building in some more rest for SGA. I think OKC has four or five back-to-backs remaining. Would not be surprised if he's, you know, his workload is eased a little bit there. Um, I, I know the, the fantasy trade deadline, at least in Yahoo leagues is coming up this Thursday. Is there a case to be made that you maybe try to sell high on SGA in anticipation of him missing more time when it really matters? I think, that's fine uh since you know based on what we've seen for him this season those numbers are bound to to regress a little bit although at the same time compared to last season you figure his numbers are going to you figure he should be playing like (laughs) not exactly like this but better um 
I don't I don't know if there's necessarily a wrong move with SGA here. Like I think if you are someone who is really banking on like you need some sort of like push uh to either you know make the playoffs or try to get in first place in your roto league. I do think there is a an argument to buy uh SGA here. Um, you know, when Giddy comes back, things are gonna get complicated. But again, if you're in a good spot, yeah, I guess at the same time, I wouldn't mind selling SGA for, um, you know, some higher floor guys to to an extent or guys where there's less risk of them uh, sitting out the, the very last games of the year. But um, again, like I just I, I'm you're talking to I, I'm one of the guys who's highest probably on, of SGA um, out there. So, like, I, I don't I don't think there's like a bad move necessarily. Yeah, I think it's just encouraging that he's back and is three for three playing in these games so far. I mean, we're at in much better standing than we were at this time last year. Uh, initial thoughts on James Harden in Philly. I, I think through two games, which granted have come at Minnesota and at the Knicks, uh, although Minnesota, you know, not not exactly the doormat that it's been for most of the last 20 years. I, I, this has gone as well as possible so far. Like Harden looks like vintage James Harden. He looks skinnier, more athletic. He's hit 18 uh, free throws over those two games, eight three-pointers, has 28 assists. Like Joel Embiid is, is laughing as they're blowing these teams out. Tobias Harris seems happy to be the fourth option. Like, did you foresee it going this well this soon? Uh, I mean, this well is – it's hard to say, like, you were expecting, you know, a combined 47 points of, of victory over the first two games. But you're putting – again, like – could this be the best? I mean, other than, I mean, this could end up being one of the best pick and roll duos we've ever seen, or just like uh pick and pop, you know, uh, you like point guard to big man combos, right? Like you yeah. think Stockton, Malone, you think Nash, Amari. Sessions, uh, Gazarich, yeah. Right. Uh, but these are the only two guys who are like in their own right top 10 players when they're right, who are like, basically point guard and center. I don't know what the last, when the last time we saw something like this would be. And I do think that again, I I just, I wouldn't be surprised if they were in the NBA finals. I think, I think for someone to say like, I'd be surprised if the 76ers were in the NBA finals. I, I don't know what you, I don't know what would make you say that other than like, I guess concerns about their defense, but I'm not that worried about that. So, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty high in this 76ers team. I think it could be – I think this trade was amazing for them. Yeah, I've been very pro this trade the entire time, uh, just based on the rudimentary analysis that you're getting zero from Ben Simmons. And right. you, you know, you're not in a position where you're trying to build this thing over the next three to five years. You're trying to win now with the way that Embiid's playing and just with the way that, you know, in some ways it kind of feels like his career is, is a ticking time bomb based on his size and the injuries – uh, so I, I thought this was a home run move uh, by, by Philly. I don't. It, it doesn't feel like they gave up too much. It feels like they gave up probably exactly the right amount. Where and you could tell because both sides feel like they won the deal. Whereas there's been so many superstar trades lately, where you start reading the terms and you're like, wow, okay, they're giving up a 2029 pick swap. Was that really necessary? You know, this one just felt it felt like the right deal for both sides. I, I'm going to hold off on you know declaring the Sixers like the you know giving them a buy all the way to the NBA Finals. They play the Knicks tomorrow at home. You think that'll be another win, but then they get the Cavs and then they're at Miami in a back-to-back later this week. I think that game at Miami, especially if they, if they go into Miami and win by 15 points and James Harden has like 35, 10 and 10 and a beat is rolling. 
then I will fully hop on board. Like, it, despite, I, I guess, technically being a Bucks fan in Milwaukee, like, I do kind of find myself rooting for the Sixers team for some reason. Even, like, there's nothing about James Harden that should make him, like, a fan favorite in any way, but I, I just like the way that this team fits, and they're fun to watch. Yeah, that Miami game, I think, is the one you circle in terms of how how does Miami choose to defend them? Can uh, Will it just not be enough? You know, to some extent, like, you could try to double-team and beat and do whatever. It's just both those guys are good enough to just break whatever defense you're trying against them. Uh, but I feel you. Uh, yeah, Bucks fan, it's, you know, it feels very uh, – to me, this is almost like – I think part of the fun is – we're both 2K players, right? A lot of people listening to this podcast probably 2K players. Yeah, and, I'm an NBA 2K7 player, to be clear. Well, fair enough. But it's almost like you you find something that works. Like, you can just run the pick and pop or the pick and roll literally every single possession that you have the ball in the game, and that can be a legitimate offense. And it feels like that's how it is with the 76ers, where it's like, we got these two guys. Let's just run. Let's just screen every single possession screen and pop screen and roll screen and fade fake and slip. And that will just, that's one simple play, basically the foundation of offensive basketball. You know, the most simple play in NBA history is going to just be completely dominant and completely unstoppable. And by the way, you know, you, you literally can't switch it. And even if you don't switch it, there's such good isolation players by themselves that there's a good chance they're going to get a high quality bucket anyway. So it it feels uh it it feels like this could be honestly like huge. Yeah, I mean if Harden's Harden, I, I think a big part of the reason that so many people were you know cautiously optimistic or, or just straight skeptical after the deal went down was like, well, you know, Harden hasn't looked like himself in in a year and a half. Like, you know, is, is he finally reaching that point? Is all the partying catching up to him? Like. That's gone out the window. That took about a game and a half. And James Harden looks like 2017 Rockets MVP James Harden. You know, I, I think that's still very much uh, – he still has that in him you know, when he wants to. It's not like he's 36 years old. I mean, the guy is, what, 32 right now? I think he turns 33 uh, late August. So there, there's really no reason to believe, I guess, other than the rumors about the lifestyle, there's no reason to believe that he's going to age you know, dramatically faster than his peers who, you know, they're – pretty much everybody at this point, even point guards into their mid to late thirties are, are still really, really effective. So yeah, like I said, I, I find myself rooting for this team. Maybe it's, maybe it's the Embiid factor. I, there's just a lot. There's a fun team. Like they're a fun team to watch. The crowd is always into it when it's like a home ESPN or TNT game. Um, and I think it's setting us up for a really, really fun postseason. And by the way, Ben Simmons will not be playing in that March 10th game. I know we've been <laughs> on this since the, like the moment that trade broke. Um, but like right when it seemed like he was ramping up, he's he's now signing back pain. Yeah, it's it's that simple, right? I'm not I'm not like being overly harsh here. Like he just he can't come back before that game because then he needs to find a separate reason to sit out that game. It's not on a back to back. They have a day off before. They have two days off after. It's very clear that he's going to come back shortly after March 10th. Yeah, I remember getting the notification on my phone for the back soreness and just laughing. I was yeah. like, oh my god, yeah, it's really they're really gonna wait, and I. I guess I get it, but it's just uh, mm-hmm. just one of those things, I guess. Well, that's what I wrote in my article today. I was like, yeah, I get it. It's going to be an all-time hostile environment. Like, it, it, from from a neutral observer perspective, like, of course we want to see that. It, there's potential for comedy. There's potential for it to go really well or, you know, more likely really poorly for Ben Simmons. And that's something that we want to consume as fans. But I, I get why he doesn't want to. I, I guess the question is, like, if you're 
if you're the Nets and you're Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and whoever, like any decision maker or coach or player, are you are you on board with this or is this kind of a, all right, we're kicking the can down the road. One, there's a good chance we're going to have to play these guys at some point in the playoffs. Do you want to make that your first time back? You, or like, I, to me, I think there's a case to just kind of take your lumps and get this out of the way. Because if you have to play at Philly in the playoffs, it's not like it's going to be any less harsh. If anything, it could be more harsh. If it's, if it's round two or it's the Eastern Conference Finals and you're playing game one at Philly, you think the fans are suddenly just going to, to give you a pass? I, I don't think so. Yeah, my thought is they just don't want it to be his first game. Uh, yeah. And maybe even like his second game. But I, I'm, I'm completely with you in terms of, yeah, eventually you're going to have to go through Philly in theory uh, to if you hope to win the title. So... You know, maybe it won't be as big of an issue in this uh, reduced role that I assume we're going to see him in. But it's, yeah, it has to be a concern if you're if you're a decision maker and yeah. any, literally anybody in the Nets organization. It's going to be dramatically worse in Philly, but it's still going to be hostile anywhere you go. Any contending team in the East, you know, like if he plays at Miami on March 26, or yeah, I don't know if they play at Milwaukee. Uh, no, they don't. They play home against Milwaukee uh, later in, in March, but. You know, any playoff series you're in, you're, I don't care who you're playing. You're, you, they could be playing at Boston in round one. That's, you know, that's very realistic. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who you're playing. I guess that would have to be a round two series. I'm, I'm all over the place. But point being, everybody knows the situation with Ben Simmons. Like, it's going to be more hostile with the Sixers, obviously, because he played there. But Celtics fans, Raptors fans, Bucks fans, Cavs fans, Bulls fans, like, he's still going to be talked about he goes to the free throw line that's going to be an event for everyone watching on tv and even more so everyone in the arena well i mean the nets the nets as a team are just like if you're an opposing fan you, as a team with ben simmons who like quit on his team you, so you have like that ammo as an opposing fan you know kevin yeah. durant can't stay off twitter to save his life and will like clap back at a guy with 40 followers and then kyrie's got the whole you know, Earth is flat, vaccine thing. So it's like, as a team, it's just like, there's so much ammo if you're the opposing crowd for like signs and <laughs> chants and things to scream at people. And it's nobody, you know, they don't have any fans to begin with or the Nets. It's just like the most hated or like least liked superstar yeah. team maybe ever assembled. I mean, I don't even think you could put like the the big three heat in that, in that conversation. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And I think people, I wouldn't say everyone grew to like the Heat, you know, but I think they became, like, by the time LeBron won the first title, like, once he got that monkey off his back, it felt like things really shifted and they became a team that at least people respected. Maybe you didn't like them, but you respected them. I, I don't feel that with the Nets. And I, I think, you know, the franchise itself, you know, kind of being on an island is, is one thing. Um, there's obviously, New York, you know, the, the, the Knicks run that city. But, you know, did they assemble the three biggest, like, head cases in the league? <laughs> and, you know, Durant's kind of in a separate category. You know, like he's he's proven that he can he can spend his time on Twitter and still be just fine when he's on the court. Right. Like, you know, I don't think anybody's saying, uh, you know, he's not someone you trust. But, I mean, still a, a guy that's, that's, that's had some kind of strange off-court behavior. Kyrie, probably number one on that list. And, I mean, until last year, you wouldn't have put Ben Simmons in that category. But, like, you've assembled a, a team of guys who are just – they're unique players and like to, to kind of double down on that or even triple down on it, you know, now going Durant, Simmons and Irving, it's, it's high risk, high reward. It is. Yeah. I mean, even they just have bad vibes as a team. I don't know how to explain it. They're just like a, 
a team without fans who and the, the individual players aren't that liked and they're all there for just like right you know different reasons that just led them there and none of them are particularly like good and yep. um yeah yeah well it's funny because Harden's probably also on that list so like you swapped him out for <laughs> right. a guy who's like at least in the short term like possibly even more of a head case in Ben Simmons so like you know there's been times where there's like addition by subtraction you know you're like well you know, maybe we got rid of the more talented player, but we need somebody who's going to fit our system and, you know, just be a better locker room guy. Like, not sure you really accomplished that with this deal either, but uh, very much looking forward to to seeing what the Nets look like when all those guys are in uniform. Um, last thing I want to mention, and we'll make this quick, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, allegedly going to start scrimmaging in the G League later this week. So, I mean, things have rapidly progressed uh, in this whole situation. Like, end of January, they were applying for a disabled player which you only do if you're pretty certain that a guy is not coming back this year. And smartly, Denver held off on actually exercising that because had they done that, that would have made Michael Porter completely ineligible. Um, but here we are, and it, it seems like barring some sort of setback in the next couple of weeks, like he could possibly even beat Jamal Murray back to the court. Yeah, it seems like they might, might get both of them back around the same time, and that would give them, what, like roughly a month? Of like regular season, yeah, a little time less than before that. the two, three, a little weeks. less than a month. Um, I, again, I mean, you paid Michael Porter Jr. all that money. You have an MVP caliber player in Nikola Jokic, and you're going to get your very good point guard back. There, I think you have to try to bring MPJ back. I, I don't think this is a situation where you go, let's just rest him till next year. You know, again, like I. I don't, I'm not trying to speculate on this stuff too early, but like if Jokic isn't that happy with like the contract situation, that's not good. Cause he can just like bail. Um, and I, you know, you gotta just, you have to play it out again. Your, your, your best player is far too good for you to be taking uh, years where you are just purposely sitting guys essentially for, you know, risk of uh, instead of taking the risk of re-injuring them. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm not a back surgery expert, but it, it seems like this was a like disc slash nerve issue. So it's, I don't think it's necessarily something where you're asking a guy to come back six months after tearing his ACL and you're you're worried about like the structural stability. I, I think at least from what I've read and, and what I understand, it's like it's, it's always been a pain management thing for him. And, and earlier this season, it got to the point where it was bothering him so much he needed another surgery. But you're you're not necessarily all that worried about a re-injury. I think it's more of just like a degenerative situation where like, I, I don't know that it's necessarily dangerous for him to come back. Right. Like it might be more of a Kawhi situation where it's just like the knee is bad and right. you know, he needs some more rest, but I don't know, man. The main thing that was concerning is just like the thing that led to surgery needing to be done is he tried to do a fast break layup Yeah, and got hurt. So you're worried about that, but again, you got to bring him back, man. I he, you just can't you can't throw these seasons away. Mm-hmm. I think Nuggets, I by mean, the I way, think, now thirty five to one to win the title. That's not bad. I I don't know if I bank on it, but thirty five to one is not. Uh, I think that's fair odds. I think that's fair value. Like I can't. I don't think I'd look at that number and be like, well, if I was getting fifty to one, I thirty five yeah. to one is fine. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would rather bet it at ten thousand to one if that was an option. Uh, I, <laughs> right. I certainly would, but no, thirty-five to one, very fair. And I, I mean, they were down at like closer to fifty, sixty to one these last few weeks, and I think now that there's some concrete optimism uh, that that started to affect the line. But all right, we got to hop out of here. 
plenty of news flowing in. Fred Van Vliet's out. OG Ananobi's out. Uh, the, the Raptor season is collapsing before our very eyes. Uh, but, but good chat with you as always, and we'll be back later this week. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com